Welcome back to Let Freedom Reign Podcast, the official equine industry podcast of Day 6 Ranch. I'm your host, Jason Swick, and on this show, we discuss leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship from topics and perspectives exclusive to the equine industry. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and explore our free content, other podcasts, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We thank you for joining us on this adventure. Well, here we are on our return episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast. It has been nearly two years since we've launched an episode, and I know that seems like an extremely long time to go dark on the radio, but the last two years have been busy for us. There's been huge personal and professional change, and we believe God has moved us to some incredible opportunities where we needed to lean on faith, trust in Him, and step off into a new adventure. Part of that change is the branding of Let Freedom Reign podcast. We will now consolidate all we have to offer under Day 6 Ranch. And if you were a previous follower of Let Freedom Rain podcast on social media, we've grandfathered you over and moved you over to the Day 6 Ranch platforms. You can also visit day6ranch.com, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage there, and you can sign up for our newsletter. The first information to be disseminated will be our launch date, hopefully coming up within the next month or so. That being said, we understand that most of you probably cringe at the idea of signing up for another newsletter. We despise spam mail just as much as you do, so we try to be very poignant and articulate in the information that we disseminate, all in an effort to be respectful of your time and investment in Day 6 Ranch. Over the next several weeks, we will fill you in on several opportunities that we have to not only grow personally, but to grow professionally, grow your horsemanship, faith, and several aspects of your day-to-day lives. But enough about us, let's get on to the guest of our return episode, Miss Ashley Maven. In this episode, you will hear some of the unbelievable challenges that she faced in her early childhood, and some of the efforts made to overcome those challenges were less than conducive. The horse had a place in Ashley's life from early on, and ended up being an anchor, later turned conduit for her success. Ashley now offers a program called Joy Rising. The program addresses mental health and emotional fitness through horsemanship. For more on the Joy Rising program, visit ashleymaven.com. That is A-S-H- L-E-Y-M-A-V-E-N dot com. It is great to be back. We hope you enjoy this comeback episode, and we look forward to connecting with everybody over the next several weeks. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Ashley Maven. Ashley, thank you so much for jumping on the line for us today in our comeback episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast. Uh, First and foremost, I hope that you are forgiving on us because it's been almost two years since we rolled out an episode, so our skills might be a little rusty, but we're looking forward to getting after it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. This is going to be an exciting episode. Uh, You were recommended by a previous guest of ours, and uh, we're going to get into the horse world. We're going to get into a little bit of neuroplasticity. I know that sounds like a big word, but just kind of rewriting our history, and I know a lot of your journey is a testimony to the effects of neuroplasticity and coaching and in the equine industry. But as we start all episodes, we'd like to get a little history of you and uh, your start with horses and, and we'll work through your history as the episode goes on. So if you don't mind explaining a little bit of your start with horses and, and we'll just see where the episode goes from there. Sure. Sounds good. Uh, so <laughs> my start with horses, if anyone is ever from Southern California, was a toddler at the Griffith Park uh, Pony Rides. And my dad took me there. And I think he might think it's the biggest mistake of his life because I was just 
horse obsessed. I mean, everything in my life was horses, 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 horses. So after the handful of pony rides would no longer do it for me, um, I was very blessed to get to start to take riding lessons, if you will, um, and explored all sorts of different um different styles of riding, different trainers. Uh, there was times in our lives where we had resources for horses and, and horseback riding and whatnot, but there was times that we didn't. So I would get really creative. I would offer to clean stalls or feed. So I basically went to the trainer that had the opportunity for me. Um, and I got to uh, explore hunter jumpers, eventing, and then eventually fell in love with dressage. Um, now, through that whole time, which will make sense in a bit, um, <clears throat> to note, excuse me, is that childhood was very, very, very traumatic for me. Um, and with a emotionally very unstable household, um, from the age of five, I started wrestling with uh, anxiety, depression, panic, so even though while I was horse obsessed and that's all I could think about, I was also um, starting my own healing journey with, if you will, at five years old when I was taken to my first, um, he's a psychoanalyst, uh, to try to get help. That's quite a bit to take on at such an early age. And I mean, obviously your parents probably recognize some form of change in you or, or school provider, right? Educator. Mm-hmm. Explain to me those early perceptions that you had where you realize that maybe this emotional state has a little bit more control than it should. And how did you work through the the process of orienting what actually was going on and then kind of taking control of it on your on your own realm? Sure. So as I mentioned, at five was the first time I was brought um, to a psychoanalyst. And then I was then in traditional therapy. Uh, on and off, but mainly on through my entire childhood and into my young adult years. Um, when I was five, I guess the story goes, is I was running around the house saying that I wanted to kill myself. Um, and my dad is the one that took note and got me help. Um, mom carries a pretty significant diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. <clears throat> so uh, there was a lot of trauma there and my dad carries a uh, diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder and an issue with rage so not to go into deep deep detail with this just to protect everyone else's privacy but um, I was not in a place where I was ever learning how to regulate my nervous system have emotional resources to feel safe to feel okay um, the idea of love came with then, but why is this one person doing all these things behind my back to try to hurt me and make make me out to be something that I'm not so that she gets all this attention? It was just all very confusing for the mind of the child. So um, I was in just a significant amount of emotional suffering and pain. And pretty early on through seeing uh different therapists, psychotherapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, psychoanalysts, um, the common theme that I heard and really internalized was I could never be free. 
like the PTSD, the trauma responses, all this, I could never be free because what what had happened already existed in my brain, almost like my brain was broken, um, like I had a disease or something. And all I could do is figure out how to manage the symptoms. So you can imagine how damaging that would be for a child who then hear throughout her life growing up, well, you can only manage this. We can manage this the best we can, whether eventually they introduce psychoactive medications. Um, but the idea was this was an identity. This was always going to happen to me, and I just had to figure out how to manage it. And bless my little childhood heart, um, I... I wanted to be free. I was willing to do whatever they said, but I still held this really debilitating lie and belief system that there was something wrong with me and I could just manage it for the rest of my life. So the idea of limiting beliefs, I mean, that could be a whole nother episode in and of mm -hmm. itself, right? And you mentioned several times that the child mind and the child spirit, right, suffered all this mm -hmm. trauma. I mean, that's a lot to take on for anybody, that level of instability uh, in, an, right. in an upbringing or, or a physical environment. But this is a perfect segue into um, the horse's interjection in this idea that you could not be set free and that this was just a manageable mm -hmm. condition. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I want to start to develop not, not only the horse relevance to it, but this idea of neuroplasticity, because uh, I think freedom is always relevant in every conversation. Uh, we spoke mm -hmm. a little bit before recording about how we just need to learn how to repave highways, and and it offers a better road travel to whatever the perceived journey is or the perceived finish line is. So, let's talk about how the horse influenced this limiting belief of you could not be set free and start to open up the doors to some of the neuroplasticity and the change in the freedom that you later pursued. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe the horse has played a huge part in who I am today. And I believe God used the horse because before I had a relationship personally with Jesus, his grace was definitely on me. And I know that my passion of a horse of the horse is a place that he spoke to me. So all I could think about 24 seven through childhood was I got to get to the horses. I got to get to a horse. I got to Like I just almost as if it was an idol, it was just a fixation of mine because when I got to the horses, I had purpose. I had meaning. I was seen. I was heard by them. I could influence them without words. And, and feel that connection and feel that response. And I could see that they could see me. Um, not to mention it was just so fun, right? Absolutely. Uh, it, so for me, horses was a huge outlet, but they also, they also kind of stood in as like this family figure I really needed. Like they stood in as this stability, even though <laughs> because I didn't always have the money to have the nice horse at the barn or the things I was put on the horse that probably a kid shouldn't have been riding. <laughs> there was a lot of physical trauma, but like so, no, really. One time I ended up in the hospital so many times in a week, they actually sent child protective services to talk to my oh, dad. And, and he's like, oh, no, Lord. really the horse accidents. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you can see the parental supervision around was not fabulous. But yeah. even so, yeah. even though it's fallen off some of these knuckleheads left and right, horses offered something I hadn't experienced before which was this 
unconditional love and ability at presence. And when they do one thing, it doesn't have a meaning behind it. And that was a lot of the emotional abuse I went through and a lot of the hypervigilance I had in front of people. Oh my gosh, it's my daughter. I love her so much. I'm so proud. Behind closed door when no one's looking, it's a whole other thing. Then running behind my back to a friend and making fun of the way I looked or my body or running to a parent and saying, um, oh, you know, my kid and is you know, sleeping around boys and doing drugs. And I hadn't even kissed a guy. I wasn't even on my radar yet. Like that was the type of psychological warfare I grew up in. So having a horse where it just, there is no big story. Nope. We're here for the moment. They do. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I, I was so drawn to that. Um, and then horses became my survival mechanism. So I believed that, if I could accomplish my dreams with my horses, then I'm going to show all these doctors and people I'm going to be free because those are my dreams. And you have to be happy if you have your dreams come true. So I had fallen in love with the sport of dressage. Um, I was actually told to go do dressage after a significant jumping accident as rehab, which is such a joke because the dressage trainer yeah, I went to work yeah. with was way more intense than any uh, jumper I had worked with. But anyways, I fell in love with the intimacy, with the connection, with the long journey you take with this animal to take them from just learning how to move their parts to putting it together, this beautiful dance. And the FEI. So my goal was to ride Grand Prix dressage, be a horse trainer, do the thing, and then I was going to be happy and free. And that is what I did. And by a very young age, I was riding Grand Prix. I had several FEI horses I was riding. I had horses I had brought up to the FEI training. I had sold horses. Um, like I was in the game. And yeah. And I loved it, and I was passionate about it, and my students were winning, and it was just so fun, and I was worse off emotionally than I was even before. And there was this moment where it was just that wake-up moment in life where I was getting ready to go to the ranch. I had some ribbons up and some things and pictures and whatever, and I'm looking, and then there's a shelf that has all my pill bottles I have to take for the day. And I'm like, how is this possible? I did everything I said I ever wanted to. I did my bucket list by my young 20s. Yeah. And here I am with 11 at the height of it. They put me on 11 psychoactive meds that were meant to manage or whatever. Um, and by the way, they made me insane. Like, imagine taking, and this was all from one uh, psychiatrist, imagine taking. 11 medications that shift your mental state and mind chemistry and then never coming down. Like people can do a drug and go, oh, I know the change. And then they, the drug leaves the system and they go, this is me again. Imagine years of never having that and just not knowing that these, these medications were, were making me, they were literally making me insane. And I didn't know it. Um, until it was all in my system, which is a side note. But um, anyways, that was the moment where I was like, enough, enough. This isn't working. Joy isn't because of things. Yeah. 
joy must be a state I need to get to building or something like that. So I took my horse trainer mind instead of the doctor mind where it was like diagnose and manage symptoms. I went to my trainer mind and went, I need to train my brain that my brain is just being an unruly horse who lacks an education and I need to give it an education. And that's when I found the, the field of neuroplasticity. And then I went after that full force and everything I could read, go to seminar, this, that. At one point I was invited in to be a, a honorary doctoral student, even though I oh, didn't wow. have, I didn't have anything that would have uh, allowed me to, <laughs> any credentials that would have allowed that I should say like just all these openings happened that I could yeah, learn yeah yeah and then everything I learned I began to apply to myself and then in, in time I had a full healing and I think what you described is a very very common scenario in the fact that when there's instability in our lives or there's voids that are not filled the common natural path of least resistance is to find outside experience or outside stimulus to fill those mm -hmm. voids, right? And mm -hmm. yes, they provide temporary, I'm not going to say joy because it's not pure joy, right? They, mm -hmm. they provide a temporary fix, but very rarely get to the, <laughs> yeah, very rarely get to the root of the issue. And what I try to instill in folks when we talk about this journey of filling voids and finding purpose and who you are and what your role is here on earth, that is 1000% an inward journey. You have to look mm -hmm. in and it's a painful experience. It's a tough experience. I mean, the last thing that I wanted to do was look in the mirror and realize that I was the problem. Mm -hmm. That I drove a lot of, or I was the catalyst that drove a lot of this negative perception and ideology and mindset and things of sort. But uh, I had a very similar journey. I've taken up running recently. And when you look at the effects of running on your body, I mean, literally, it can rewire your DNA. It can mm. strengthen your DNA, right? Which in turn wow. helps physically and emotionally whether it be endurance or physical strength, right? So, let's talk about that journey going inward and and mm -hmm. that neuroplastic, neuroplasticity pursuit that you went on mm -hmm. because I conveyed to folks and I've experienced in my life, right? We, we get conditioned through life, the weight of life. And I say trauma in a relative term, right? That could be a stub toe. That mm -hmm. could be years of trafficking and abuse. Mm -hmm. We get rewired by this trauma, and I always pose the question, how come we can't get rewired out of it? We absolutely mm -hmm. can, but people get stuck under this rock of, well, this is my assumed identity now. People told me that I can't be free or I can't find success in yes. this or I can't find joy in this or I can't find hope or purpose. And all of that is a lie. So, mm -hmm. I want to open the floor for you and your no neuroplasticity journey as far as what you've done in yourself. You have coaching programs, right? You offer one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one coaching. There's a lot that you have in your experience, in your toolbox that you offer the world in this realm of rewriting your story. So, so how did it start and where, where has it gone? Sure. So, after I had that awareness, <laughs> yes. that I, I better get to learning actually how the mind works instead of just listening to all this, manage it, and then try to get things right on the outside and I'm going to be okay. Um, 
And so in studying neuroplasticity, because I didn't have like the one person to go to or the one thing, I tried a lot. And I tried, thankfully for my clients, they don't have to go through quite as much as I did. Because I, I pulled out <laughs> what actually is effective. But I went all, I went all spectrums of it, right? And in simplicity, what I found is the understanding of how to actually build new neural pathways, which are the new thought patterns, those new highways of the mind that you're talking about. But also what I began to learn is how the mind actually works. And if we think of that, we have like a conscious mind, a logical thinking mind, it depends who you ask, but some say that's about 10% of your mind or 12% of your mind. Most of us are trying to make changes there when we really have this whole entire unconscious and subconscious and it just works and processes differently. Now there's a lot of people out there going in this more like woo woo thing of, Oh yeah, we're targeting your unconscious in this ethereal way. And it's like, well, no, your unconscious just learns through metaphors and stories. Uh, Jesus, by the way, was quite brilliant speaking in parables. He knew what he was doing. Your unconscious learns by stories. And that's why um, the, the side note, but that the stories people get attached to that they project onto things, keep them so stuck. That's so, the emotional imprinting. Exactly. And so in the work I do, it's not um, just positive. Think your way there. You just should feel this way. It's also not what I experienced, which was, well, now you know why you are the way you are. You know why you're on eggshells because your dad used to fly off the handle and be enraged without warning, of course. Well, awareness doesn't set people free. And, and what happens is, is like how I grew up in uh, therapy, psychotherapy, psychoan psychoanalysis was let's keep looking at all the things that were done to you and you can understand who you are today. Let me tell you, I understand. Yeah, we're there. We're there. We don't need to look any further. I have more self-knowledge than I know what to do with. Yeah. That doesn't, I'd be like sitting there and being like, well, this horse bucks because of that one time. Okay, so how do we stop the bucking? Yeah, eventually I, I, we, we have to get over it and take some like, action. <laughs> right? Yes. Right. So my focus as I was going on my journey became really clear. I don't want to know anymore why I am the way I am. That's not helping. I need to know what to do to become the person I say I want to be. And I love it. so from I love it. the lens of neuroplasticity, I learned how someone can actually build new unconscious learnings and resources that weren't there before. So for example, my nervous system patterned my mom, who is always in a state of fight or flight, always has anxiety, always ready to panic about everything. All like, so, of course, I learned that. Well, some of that's right? genetic and, and, and a lot of it's environmental too, right? Right. And, and even just, just if you think of carrying a child and that child developing based on what mom's doing. I mean, it's just what we do, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I knew, okay, what do I lack there? I lack the ability to regulate and to feel safe. I'm walking around in life like I'm in a war and people can come and hurt me at any time, even though that is not the reality of this moment. Yeah. So I like the resource to feel safe and regulate my nervous system. So then it was learning how the unconscious actually grasped those new learnings. And you can think of it like 
remember CD changers, depending how, oh, old yeah. or how young someone yeah. is, they might not know, but we used to have our CD changer. You put all your CDs in there and then you'd press whatever and it would pick a CD and play a song. Well, most people, and this is including myself during this time, was walking around with a CD of trauma, this bad thing happened to you, a CD of depression and you feel so sad and you're so low and then a, a cd of anxiety freak out about everything you don't know if you're gonna be okay and hypervigilance and all the things and so what i started doing is installing if you will cds of this is how you feel safe this is what it feels like to feel loved and nurtured and have your emotional needs met because i didn't know what that was this is the one to how to feel, um, you know, joy, how to feel um, that you can regulate, how to get past unconscious limits, how to get towards something. This is the resource of inner success. This is whatever it was. And I filled up my inner CD changer with those CDs. And naturally, my mind started gravitating towards pleasure, which was these type of CDs and away from pain, which it will do if you give it the right mechanism. So that's kind of a little baby peanut shell, you know, explanation. It's a, it's a long process, but really, I mean, it's it comes down to exposure, right? You're exposed to overwhelming amounts of trauma. Obviously, you're going to bear some of that. You start to overwhelm yourself with the saturation and the exposure of positive thinking habits and positive resources and people that are willing to construct your life instead of destruct your life, uh, you naturally become a product of your environment. And that's why the proximity principle is so mm -hmm. powerful, right? And the, the adage that, you know, you become the sum of the five people you're closest with. Uh, the, the theory and the approach is no sure. different. Sure. And um, on my own journey of learning, I just started all these concepts and these practices and protocols and things that I was learning. I just started doing them on myself. And my journey took quite a bit longer than I feel that my clients have to go through because it was trial and error. But I got to the place where I really was free. I mean, I had a full healing. Yeah. I was told that was impossible. I was off all medications. I didn't have anxiety. I didn't have panic. I didn't have PTSD. I didn't have the trauma responses like I did. I didn't have depression. I wasn't suicidal. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm free. And I'm still horse training a lot through this time. What, during my education, um, and then people started seeing such change in me, and they're just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, let me just share a little thing I'm passionate about. And I would incorporate it, let's say, in a coaching lesson or this or that or a phone call. But then everyone around me started going, no, no, Ashley, we want you to be like our, our person we go to and you do this with us. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on here. Time out. I'm like, uh. I'm like, I'm a horse trainer, people. Yeah. Like, you, wait, yeah. what? Yeah. So I continued education that I felt I needed before going into private practice. And I was trying to figure out when this all happened. I think about 13 years ago. I can't remember the exact date. It's a little bit fuzzy. But around 13 years ago is when I really stepped into private practice. And this has been my full-time thing ever since. And um, getting to help my clients go through this and install those new resources, those new neural pathways. Um, it never gets old, like freedom after freedom after freedom after freedom yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I tell a lot of the clients that I work with is that uh, I, I fell on my face so many times that hopefully I can help you not fall on yours at all. 
it's not that I'm an expert right? in any of this. I've just <laughs> failed at it a lot more than you have. So, uh, and yeah. I'm unrelenting and just don't take no or don't quit. So let's talk about your website and what you have to offer folks. You know, you talked about this private practice now that's been up and running for over a decade and your website, yeah. ashleymaven.com. And we'll link everything in the description of the episode, but thank you. let's talk about the construct of the business and what you have to offer. Should people listen to this episode and want to get connected with you? Um, how do they go about? So absolutely. So my website is just my name.com ashleymaven.com. And currently there's going to be two main ways to work with me. Um, I actually should say three, but one is my one-on-one programs. So that's what I had mentioned earlier. That's where a client comes into me. We pick a period of time. We're going to go after their freedom, get towards their goals and desires because getting out of pain isn't enough. I always tell people, think of it like a scale. If you're in pain, call that a negative 10. So many quote unquote healing modalities and whatnot, they're trying to get you to a zero. Oh, we're going to neutralize it. You're going to be at a zero. Okay. So you get to a zero. Let's even say that happens. A zero is not joy. <laughs> a zero Fair is all zitch in between. Man, okay, I'm not in pain, but I'm not joyful. Like joy, purpose, sense of belonging, going after your passions in life, that's a, that's a positive 10. So the goal when I work with my clients is not to get them to a zero. We start there and they're pretty happy when, you know. Yeah, just less, to get the baseline. Less. Right, but, but we go beyond. We yeah. get you to whatever your passions, dreams, joy is. So so that's the one-on-one program. We meet regularly by phone. I have it all set up virtual. I get to have clients all over the world. It's the most incredible experience for me. But anyways, we meet regularly by phone. All my clients get access to my mentorship portal that has all of these resources and processes and protocols that are designed, like you said, to build the new highway, build the new unconscious learning. So people don't have to just like think their way yeah. to it anymore. Yeah. Like it's a full looking at the mind and a wholeness approach. And so that's the one way. And when you go to my website, there's, if you scroll around, there's one right on my homepage, there's a video with my story and my work a little bit more depth, but somewhere around there, there's a little button that you can click to apply for a consultation with me to see if my program's right for you. Um, the other thing I'm super excited about, so I have had on and off for years a group program virtual that I do called Joy Rising. But I felt God speak into my heart recently after several of my trainer friends and colleagues were telling me that the hardest thing they're having with their students is nothing to do with horses and everything to do with the student's mindset and emotional health and the projection of the student's stories onto horses and horseback riding. So I threw around the idea to these colleagues, what, what if you had a place you could send your students that would be all about equestrian, emotional fitness, mental health, and so much more that I would tackle there. And unanimously, they're like, we will send them. Yeah, hands <laughs> like, down. Okay, hands here's down. Here's the demand. <laughs> and I get to blend two of my passions, which yeah. is horses yeah. um, and this work that I do. So Joy Rising is a virtual program. It is a place where I am going to 
over deliver because it is such a passion of mine. There's going to be lessons and the mind gym is somewhere you go to work out the new neural pathways, new highways, if you will, new unconscious resources. There's things to do while you're with your horse or ridden exercises. We have VIP guests that are coming to give their wisdom. Um, hopefully, Jason, you'll be there. Uh, there's all sorts of different places. And there's also for those who uh, are believers or do want to experience the presence of God, there will be the encounter room where you can go to just get in the presence of God um, and let and let him be the healer. So I'm really excited for that. There's a place on my website that you can click that will then take you to Joy Rising and get you all that information. It's such an incredible program. It's it's such a fulfilling program in the sense that, I mean, obviously, we're all in the horse industry, the equine industry on some level, or else you wouldn't be listening to this show. Right. But right. the stability and the peace that the horse brings in our lives is what we crave. And the science is so new in explaining how the horse physically influences the human being. I mean, I was reading a study the other day, and I can't cite it off the top of my head, but there's a study that shows that a horse can perceive the human heartbeat from up to four feet away. I, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. To think on that level, right? Emotionally, as human beings, we're emotional liars and we're really, really good at it. I could be having the worst day in the world, but I'm going to sit here on the mic and I'm going to tell you life is good and I'm going to have that tone in my voice and I'm going to sell it like uh, nobody's business, right? But those emotions right. create physiological responses in us that the horse then perceives and the horse ain't going to lie and project it. And I've worked with several guys where we get out in right. the pen and they're telling, oh, you know, things are good, life's good, everything's hunky-dory. And then they get in the pen with the horse and I can see that the horse is frantic or just not comfortable and it opens yes. up it opens up the opportunity to have that conversation that hey man I, you say life's good but watching you and this horse work there's a breakdown in communication somewhere right so let's try to get on the same page and it just opens that opportunity free of condemnation um free of criticism free, free of any kind of ridicule and mm -hmm. people can really really start to grow and that's that was a genesis of our program. That was a genesis of this podcast. Uh, that was a genesis mm. of our journey, right? Is that the whole, I didn't know what the horse was doing to me. I had no clue what the horse was doing to me. I just knew that there was stability there. And then based on mm. my critical thinking abilities and desires, right? I wanted to learn more and learn more and learn more. And then it's just snowballed. And some would argue it's out of mm. hand, but uh, I feel like I'm right in my wheelhouse right now. <laughs> and uh That's awesome. And it avails so many opportunities for the common person to start to unpack some of these traumas and start to unpack some of the weight, uh, whether it be trauma, emotional weight, things of that sort. And don't get me wrong, the, the horse does not replace modern medicine, right? And sometimes there is medicine right. that we need to use to get back to zero, right? Get back to that baseline. But for a lot of us, we just need to reason through emotion and... Once you start to reason through emotion, you open the opportunity for neuroplasticity and starting to repave some of them mm -hmm. highways. And, and I can't wait to see the launch of the program. I did catch your invite and I will absolutely take you up on that. However you need help with it, I'm willing to get behind it as far as teaching and segments and features and whatever you need, you just ask and we'll get it done. As we wrap every episode, uh, legacy is a big deal. And I want to pose a question to you. If you were to give your younger self any kind of advice given the road that you've traveled, what advice would you share? 
there's a couple pieces to it. The first one, you do not have to go through life just managing symptoms of suffering. That there is a way to freedom. I love it. That would be a huge one. And if I could have heard that really young, I think that would have been a level of hope and would have been able to actually direct me to the places that I actually needed support from that actually would have been effective for me. Um, the other one, I had a friend once say that I am a doer of dreams. And I do believe it's an anointing I carry in that I get to help people not only be free of what I call the unnecessary emotional suffering the stuff that they don't have to suffer from anymore. Um, but that also those dreams in your heart, those little tiny fire that might be there, might feel like it's almost out, or maybe you just know your passion, but it's there. Um, God says that you take delight in him and he gives you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, four, I believe our dreams are for doing and one thing that I appreciate about myself that I held on to through this entire process of my life is that I always believed there was a way for my dreams. And I love to stand in for others now and help them get to theirs. You bring up two very, very powerful concepts. A fleeting glimmer of hope can mm -hmm. have profound effect on an outcome. And when folks mm -hmm. lose hope, that's when we start to get into some real, real dark places. And mm -hmm. oftentimes society or I want to say social pressures put ceilings on us or put labels on us or put limiting capabilities on us that just are not true, just are not mm -hmm. true. But when you hear it from enough voices, you start to give it credibility. And I'll tell you for me in my journey, when I stopped listening to those voices and went inward, and took a lot mm -hmm. of this to God, it, mm -hmm. it opened incredible doors for me. And I got to the point where I asked myself, like, how dare I put God in a box? How dare mm -hmm. I say I can only do so much? Because yep. if it's his will and his mission and his purpose, and it's something that I've prayed for or prayed over, and he's laid on my heart, like, you need to watch out. <laughs> You need to get ready to do, mm -hmm. you need to get ready to do the work. You need to get ready to step off and it's going to be uncomfortable, but if it's supported in his will, in his way, uh, success is inevitable. And as mm -hmm. far as the dreams go, one of my mentors asked me, this was maybe six, seven years ago. He said, we always tell our children growing up, you could be whatever you dream, right? You want to be an astronaut. You want to be a doctor. You want to be a lawyer, whatever. Insert profession A. But when do, when do we stop dreaming ourselves? Mm -hmm. And we just start believing the realities of the world. Well, I'm not good enough or I can't do that or that's too much money or I'm just not that person. Like if you want to go get it, there is a way and mm -hmm. it's going to take creativity and it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to look elsewhere, whether that's mindset coaching, whether that's other resources, whether that's other people in your life. But mm -hmm. I jokingly say, but there's truth to it. If there's a will, there's a way. Uh, you just got to pour into yourself and, and really look at yourself as your greatest investment or your greatest asset. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Mark Batterson has a quote that I love. Uh, he says, dream so big 
that you have to have God show up to help you. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Right? And Heck instead yeah. of just asking for what we can do on our own strength, because then you don't need God, right? So that's one thing that, that's a way I should say I try to live my life. And I'm always dreaming so big, God has to show up. Heck yeah. Um, and then another piece that you mentioned about hope. So we get our hope from the Lord and someone who's had their mind renewed or transformed to that can really understand that and stand on that. But I've also found a lot of people who haven't had revelation of what that means. That's the part where depression really comes in, that lack of motivation, motivation, inspiration, and uh, creativity come in. In fact, um, I have some, uh, well, actually clients and colleagues of mine that are psychologists, psychotherapists, therapists, whatnot, that have sent me people they are stuck with. And genuinely, when I hear that, what I know is that light in front of their face that whispers like, well, it would be really fun to have this dream come true, or it could be possible that I could feel better. Whatever that little light might be dancing around and, and having them move towards has gone out. You give it like a pilot yeah. light that was just like yep. out and warmth can't get there. So there's actually a process I do with people that when they've gotten to that place, that ignites the light again. And it's the most fascinating, amazing thing to see because even though we have not fixed their lives or stopped their problems, or they're still, it's just a half an hour thing with me, but the light is back on. And all of a sudden, when they open their eyes, like I remember this one girl, her cheeks were rosy again, and she looked so pale when she walked in. Like there was life in yes, her. Yes, yes. We need that light. We need to move towards things. And I believe that part of the despair when people step into it, that light has gone out and they don't know how to get it back. And it says that hope, the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So that the truth? grief, yes. depression, sadness, all that pain, hope deferred. So a lot of our job in helping others is to facilitate that hope returning and then watch what God can do with that. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, Ashley, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to record here with us at Let Freedom Rain podcast. And uh, yes, thank, you, thank you. Thank you for your grace in our return episode. I know we're probably a little rusty, but we're going to get back after it here in a little bit. <laughs> You're doing and, great. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Again, again uh, I can't wait to reconnect and see how we can contribute in any way to the Joy Rising program and, and all yes. you have going at AshleyMaven.com. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. All right, Ashley. We'll talk again soon. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. Thanks again for joining us here on Let Freedom Reign podcast. If you are looking to grow in the areas of leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship, please visit day6ranch.com to see all we have to offer in the form of free content, podcasts, and material related to building a legacy-worthy lifestyle.